creativity is like a drug. You will get a buzz out of something that you instinctively know will work. Hi, this is the Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity. I'm Liana Chan, and I'm here with author Ivy Niao. I said your name right, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, I finished reading your book Overboard, which was like, I read it so quickly because I was just like so intrigued by the story, no spoilers. Um, it was really fun. And then I started, I just started reading this. It was so interesting because uh, Cry of the Flying Rhino, it was so interesting because I just realized reading them both that I've, I think I've never actually read a book with a Malaysian Chinese character that lives in London. Definitely not that, because that's very specific, but even like a Malaysian Chinese character, like an Iban character, anything like that. I was like, oh my God, I've read so many books in my life, but somehow I have not read, you know? So even that made me think like, wow, how is that? how did I even get to this place and how does it affect you know my mentality or my empathy for other people and maybe like I mean not less empathy for you know um Malaysians or but it, it's really interesting that there's like less of an exploration in my life so that was the my first like weird takeaway from it um so for you I mean, and it makes me think also that um, because we just don't have that sort of representation that much in, in novels, especially, like how few Malaysian authors there are too. It's like a perpetual cycle, like a self-feeding cycle. We are definitely a minority. Yeah, right? So like, how did you even become a novelist yourself? How, what was that journey like? Um, I started with writing short stories and I've always really enjoyed them. I somehow, since I was a child, I have always made up stories. Um, I've always had an interest in taking it a step further. I was not very interested in facts or um, things that actually happened. I've always been interested in other worlds, worlds that were made up, people that were made up. Uh, and um I made up stories for my my uh, younger brothers when I was a child. Since since I could write, I was writing stories. But I first had um, any national interest in my work when I was sixteen, and I submitted mm -hmm. my short story to the Straits Times to a national competition. And in the old days, there was no such thing as young right. adult or YA. You are either a child or an adult. So <laughs> I had to enter as an adult. Was, even though I was writing teen fic, um, yeah. short stories for for teenagers, so I, and I was mentioned, I was I was given a highly commended um, recommendation by the judges, and I won a, a weekend workshop in KL, and it was the first time I actually travelled out of my own city, um, mm -hmm. without my Jahar. parents, to attend this workshop. Uh, which was a writing workshop, and it was at the Straits Times office. Wow. I mean, Johor is so close to Singapore, but you've never been to Singapore? No, no, I have been to Singapore, but not 
um, to KL on my own oh, okay. to not, the city to the city. Not, not yeah. by yourself. Yeah. Not by myself. So um, and that gave me kind of the hope that what I was writing was actually of interest. Uh, and I, I remember that my my parents were very supportive, which which is why I'm actually a writer. They they've always thought whatever I was doing was great, no matter what it was. It it was brilliant. And I remember thinking that because I wrote the story by hand, and you had to submit a <laughs> typewritten typewritten copy. My mother typed it out. I actually dictated it to my mum, who oh my typed God. it out, and she can't even type. She was using two fingers. And I remember thinking that she must really like doing this. But I had no idea that it's not. It's because you, as a creative person, need family support in no matter what, whatever way. That's so true. That's it's so invaluable to have that. Um, they, that, that they want to put in, yes, in you. other people's time, energy and belief in you. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and it's quite stereotypically quite rare I mean for I guess Asian like stereotypically Asian parents are less supportive of the arts generally but I mean my parents are very supportive but like the yeah. stereotype of the Asian parent is that um engineering I think you'll find that, think you'll find that. It's, it's very it's 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 really important for um especially in the creative arts the in the, in our industry uh, because it's very it's very subjective. There is no right or wrong in what we're doing. Yeah, that's so true. So how did you go from doing short stories to fast forward writing? Like this uh, this uh, book is your first full-length novel? Yes. Is it? Yeah. Yes, it's my first novel. And I wrote it when I was 35. So between oh. the, the age of ages of 16 and 35, I wrote on and off when I was um, in uni, when I was working, I always wrote short stories. Um, and, and I always wrote, uh, read short stories as well. So it, I found myself very gripped by um, really punchy short pieces. I was very interested in short films, anything that was really indie and a bit odd. So I think a bit odd and dark, I would say that's probably my genre. Um, and, what is uh, it about that genre? that draws you to it because this is um I mean I haven't started reading I mean I've just started reading this so I haven't really gotten to the meat of it but it is still very intriguing sort of mystery mystery yeah mysteries is a genre right like mystery overboard is definitely a mystery suspense I think that I'm very influenced by um the writers that uh, I read myself when I was young, obviously during my formative years, I've always been interested in authors like Raymond Carver or um, Daphne du Maurier. Oh, wow, so they're yeah. all in that dark genre or a, a little bit twisted, a little bit uh, odd and an ordinary day that's gone weird. So I, I find mm -hmm. that myself like being able to identify with people who are really ordinary as well, like regular people like you and I, um, but something, something happens in their lives which transforms them. So that yeah. th those kind of characters interest me. And I think it's so interesting, like reading this, the cry of the flying rhino. I think so. One of the things that is interesting to me is that our culture, actually, like Sarawak culture, Malaysian culture, we um, do have this, mm -hmm. like within within our culture, this 
like our, us townies from the city when we go to the rainforest like when we go to the jungle like there is mm-hmm. that mysterious element of the jungle like a lot of the locals making fun of us there is that element already like just being surrounded by the jungle in Sarawak mm-hmm. of the sort of mystery of the jungle but there is that you know which I think would lend itself really well to gothic stories like you're saying like this mm. you know um but there is also the part that I would worry about like with like certain movies that mm. like you know Edge of the World was one of the ones that we had talked about you know where they yeah. kind of like make anything with a jungle or like native people sort of sinister <laughs> you know yeah. so there is yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's like fine line that we have to, I mean, I don't know, I feel like you don't want to, you don't want to like lean into stereotypes that are detrimental to our people. Uh And yet you want to explore all these things. Like, do you feel, did you feel any of that sort of balance when you were writing? Um, So one of the wonders of writing is that you put yourself in the characters and they put themselves into you. So I, I find that it's really hard to write stereotypes because we're not all stereotypes. They they come alive on their own because you've put something to them. You've breathed life into them. And uh, when I think when you put your characters into settings, we, we can see how they react to certain things or what they do and what they say. Uh, I find that a lot of this is... Um, it's evident from like, obviously from like the, the, the culture that influences us, the, the culture that we grew up in. Um, for example, I, I mean, when I was growing up, I loved Alfred Hitchcock movies. So that, that kind of genre, Alfred Hitchcock, they are always regular people and you don't even know that much about them. And yet they do things which surprise you. Right. So it, it is actually harder to create stereotypes than right. to create original characters. Because you need to be subverting the expectations of the reader. So if you're just stereotypical, yeah. then yeah, obviously that doesn't work. Well, that's really interesting. So when you were when you were writing this um, Cry of the Flying Rhino, what um, what sort of sparked the inspiration for it? So um, my first novel was written when I was thirty five, which is sixteen years ago. And I um, was doing my master's at Middlesex Uni. So in North London, very close to you. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, and I was quite influenced by um, the, the, the texts that we were reading in, in uni. Uh, and a lot of them were about um, the abolition of slavery. Oh, wow. And the, yes, the, the 18th century history of slaves in in the UK and I just started to think about how about our modern day slaves do you think that they you know do you think that that's um, a subgroup do they exist and I started looking into it in depth and um, I also had this dream as well uh, that was in a long house so from from those settings, I thought, well, this is very good because it's very dark. A, a long house is dark because it needs to keep out the, the light, the heat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also in the jungle, so it's and the like, jungle is dark. And yeah. and uh, if you've read the, uh, I think in the beginning bit, I I did say that some of the, some parts of the jungle are eternally night. It never ever gets daylight because it's so. The rainforest is so thick. Wow. So I thought that this is a great um, premise, a great setting for some for a world that is probably quite unknown to most people. Like you know. Yeah. Um, the, the Borneo rainforest is pretty much unknown, you know, uh, and, and the struggles between nature and the built environment. Um, so these are themes that I wanted to explore. Right, yeah, oh, I love that. And it's so atmospheric as well, as you were saying. Mm. So yeah. how do you decide also, cause you were saying like the characters are part of you and you are part of the characters, it becomes, how, how much do you decide do you have an idea of like, oh, this is how much I'm putting in? Like, do you, is there any sort of limitations to how personal you are with the characters? Um, I, I don't think so, because once you created a character, uh, the, in, in order to form a narrative, uh, the, the character must go through a transformation arc. So whatever character you start off with, they have to go through a certain, and it's again, it's evident in movies. I mean, I, I can't explain this enough, but that that movies teach us, you know, mm-hmm. what we need to know about characters. Why why did they do what they did, and what happens to them? Right. You know, from the beginning to the end, what happens to them, and and that is what I mean by the the arc. They have to be able to be transformed. Right. Yeah. So the protagonist for both of them I mean the protagonist is really the character that gets the most transformation let's mm-hmm. say like within that structure right so for both of them I mean I think so like having said I just started Cry of the Flying Rhino um but Overboard I the protagonist even though it's like multi-view um I do think of the protagonist as you that character that says you um, that you title you. And um, so because it, even though it's kind of personal, you become the character, the character becomes you. Why did you choose to um, have like two male protagonists? Um, I think um, Heart of Glass is a female protagonist. But oh, yes. Yeah, get that one. yeah, so um, why, why did I choose two male protagonists? Well, yeah. because I think that in every woman there is a bit of man, and and this, you know sometimes our viewpoints uh, are relevant uh, are relevant to um, how we can express them. So, for example, if I wanted to to you know express certain actions as a male character, then I would do it through the male characters. Right. Okay, so it's like it, but it was easy for you to slip because I mean, when I'm reading it, it's just it does feel like I'm reading about a man, you know. <laughs> it's not like it's such an un. It's not like it's like oh, this is a woman writing as a man, sort of thing. No, it's like so. It's easy for you to slip into those characters as when you get into the mindset of them. I, I think that that's that's another uh, wonder of creative writing because you can you can be whoever. We could write from a child's viewpoint. It doesn't mean I'm a child. Or I could write from a viewpoint of, you know, of of uh, someone with cancer. It doesn't mean I'm 
I'm suffering from cancer. I think one of the things about creative writing is being in another world and in another person. So how do you cultivate that sort of creativity? Because I think like in order to go from a short story to a novel, mm-hmm. that's like, it's quite a huge leap. I mean, in terms of creative confidence as well. And so how do you cultivate that within you? What was that journey like for you? So I think that what you brought up is very relevant, which is that um, short stories are co- completely different from novels. I mean, that they, they are different genres completely. Um, it's like, I think that a lot of people have described short stories as having like a scene, uh, a scene or up to three scenes that work. And, um, and, and, and not, not very in-depth character exploration, whereas, I mean, you've just read the novels, they have to be fully developed characters to be capable of whatever it is that they've done in like, I can't remember, 100 over scenes. So, um, so, so that's the difference. So once you've uh, invested uh, the time in a short story, uh, I, I feel that that time can't be, can't be invested in a novel because a novel is a different kind of thing. It's like a, it's like a marathon, not a sprint. It, it involves a year of training, whereas mm. a sprint may not because it's to do with speed. Oh, that's so interesting. Right. So when you were making that transition, what, mm. how did you shift that mindset? Exactly as long distance runner, you plan out ahead what you're going to be training in this whole year, what you're going to do, be doing and not doing. So I think that is, um, it's, it's, a, it's a classic case. And I, I mean, much as I hate it because I'm a creative person, but spreadsheets. Wow. Uh, if you can get your spreadsheets wow. going to plan out your program, like your schedule, like in four months, what would I have achieved or in, or in two weeks, you know, what should I have achieved in two weeks? Wow. So it's a bit like, it's like a, yeah, long distance training. Yeah, that's really fascinating because that makes me think as well of like, you know, uh, there's so many things about creativity that are challenging, like procrastination, mm-hmm. belief in yourself. I mean, I guess it's all very yeah. similar. Discipline. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. just like sometimes, um, I mean, right now I'm writing a screenplay and I do have some structure and I have some help, but it sometimes when I'm writing it and before I got that help, that outside external help, it was just like, it felt endless and impossible <laughs> to quantify because it was like, oh, I have to write 120 pages. And like, if you're yeah, writing yeah. a novel, that's so much more. Yeah. And if you just start without your plan and without like, I can imagine writing a novel over like 20 years because it's like, yeah. if you don't have that structure. I actually find short stories a lot harder. I, I have won a couple of prizes in short stories, but I would say that they are still harder than a novel because a short story has to have one idea, one right. that is so good, so so fabulous that it can never be replicated again. And that's why I it's very hard. Whereas uh, I know the irony is, okay, I've got to write 80,000 words, uh, but a novel is easier in that sense because you, you can deal with three or four ideas. And if they're bad, you can just get rid of those and have another three ideas and they would still you know be in your overall theme a novel is themed and a short story isn't because it's to do with that hook that that glittering one idea um 
I mean, you've seen it like a lot, like some movies have been made from just one short story. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of any now that a lot of times I think what happens though is that because I mean, I totally understand what you mean because I've seen so many shorts that are that are shorts. You know, they're they're made as shorts. Usually, mm-hmm. they have a trajectory that ends with a twist of some sort. There's a yeah, subversion yeah, yeah. at it the has end. end with a bang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's understandable. But a lot of these movies that are mm-hmm. um, really good as a feature, they often yeah. make the short in order to with the feature in mind in order to get funding. So that's. Sometimes like a little bit different type of short, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I, I, I totally know what you mean. That that's like the pitch feature. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. this is how it's gonna look. The sort pitch of thing. short. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah. A lot of them are successful because they already have that feature film um, mm. outline when they've presented the short. You know, so it's a different mindset again. You're right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what sort of like daily habits do you have to continue that sort of the creative discipline, especially when you're looking over like a year of planning your, your novel out? So I, I actually this year, I, I, um, I was on a challenge and um, I, I got very excited because I only just learned Google Sheets. So I, <laughs> and I decided to do, um, uh, I don't know how to use just to, to track. Yeah, to track. I know. Oh Once you God. discovered it, you realize that, oh my goodness, you don't, it's even, it's free. You don't even need to buy any software that, that helps creativity because I don't think any software can work as well as your hardware. Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I feel that that's something that you have to, to generate yourself. And so this, this year, I actually wrote a novel in 37 days. What? Because... I know I, I divided it. I couldn't believe it because I, but the thing is the 37 days are spread over, since January, January to July. Okay. So I, it's, I spread it over then because every, every time I had an hour spare, I wrote every time I had two hours spare, I wrote and some of it was as short as 16 minutes. You know, I didn't have, I don't have time all the time. So I'm not going to be able to spend eight hours writing and nobody does. There's, there's no such mm-hmm. thing. Oh wow! So okay. I, so I started to put when I when I keyed in all those word counts and the time. My aim had been just to find out what's my word count per day, and the average was like um, I can't remember eight hundred words or something. But that's divided out by the thirty seven day thirty seven um days. Wait, do you which... mean that like so? If you wrote sixteen minutes in one day, would that count as one day, or would that count as sixteen? Yeah, it would count minutes? as one day. Yes, that's oh, wow. one session, one okay. session of one day. So sixteen minutes. I might not do much. I might only do, um, I don't know, hundred or two hundred words. But that's okay. I, 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 I think that, you know, every word that you write, it's okay. It's, it's fine. I think that we tend to beat ourselves up. Why are we not writing 3,000 words today? I mean, it's, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's, yeah. it's creativity. You're, you're making up something. And something's you know? happening in your mind sometimes, you know, even though you're not writing it down, right? That's what yes, I tell myself. exactly. <laughs> I always think that it's all happening in, in the hardware, isn't it? So, right. so um, we all, I'm only doing this to track. When mm. I say that, oh, I'm not writing, I, I wrote nothing, I'm not writing, is that true? Or did I write? Or, you know, I just thought that it would be good to track this in um, and, and account for it, you know, uh, account for what 
um, I write. And I also wanted to dare myself, like, could I do this and just keep track of the words? Even if it's 20 words, why not just write that down? Because I achieved something and that's better than zero. And on some days it's zero and I actually put that down too so that I can account for it that on that day, I just did, I did, I could not write and, and that's okay too. Mm. So it's like you, you tracked every day, like for the 37 days, every we just day. track a, a day would count if you sat down and wrote. And even if you, yeah, I mean, even if you didn't a write day. a day, even if you didn't write a word, that still yes, counts as I, a day. Yes, oh, I wow. did. Yeah, and you still so managed yeah. to do 30, you still managed to finish a book in 37 days. Yes, I did. I couldn't believe it. Oh. I, I actually did it. And uh, I thought that it can't be wrong. It's Google Sheets. I mean, it adds it up for you. It, they add up the, right. the time. They add up the day. So what I wanted to work out was my word count per hour and word count per day. Wow. And yeah, so I finished, I finished that novel, which is um, it's a sequel to Overboard. Oh, wow. So Ooh, one of the characters, the Chinese girl, the Chinese girl, the one of the characters, uh, Phoebe is, is from her, yeah, Phoebe. Oh, is, good. Is from her viewpoint. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. I don't want to give anything away, but like, yeah, yeah. I did have, I actually did have questions about, um, like, you know, what's going to happen beyond beyond the books. So that's very interesting, exciting that you're writing a sequel. <laughs> So that's really good. So that was one of the things that you did, the, the Google Sheets, which um, yeah, I'm actually which really excited to look at now. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I mean, I obviously have seen the program, but I've never figured out. You know it. what? I'm going to send it to you. I'm, oh my I, God, really? Thank I, you. I can send you the spreadsheet because I've done all the formula. Mm -hmm. I've done, I've keyed in the formula to help you do the averages and, and Ooh, the totals. Amazing. Okay, thank you so much. Um, would, would that be okay to share with our audience as well? If any of you yes, wanted of to. course. Yeah, of okay, course. Yeah. You can just, it, it's, it's huge. So maybe just, you could just do a screen. A screen grab for them want. to see yes, what yeah. it's like. Yeah, because I, that, that leads me to Absolutely. my next question, which is like, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out writing? I think that my, my best advice would be to keep reading, to read every day. Okay. If, if you're not reading, then you can't be writing because I, I feel that reading is a, an extension of writing and writing is an extension of reading. They, they have to, they go together and um, our minds work in that way. So the yeah, more you read, the more ideas you will have and the more you will have the urge, the creative urge. Um, um, yeah, that's so true. I totally feel that in terms of like reading screenplays. Like that helps me a lot to read. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Are there any books that you, um, before I, I get into another technical question about that, but are there mm. any authors or books that you are really into right now that you inspired um, by? Recently, I've really got into uh, Chris Bojalian. Oh, I love him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think, yeah, it's the one, I think, no, I think I have read The Flight Attendant. Yeah, he oh, had right. The, the Flight Attendant on HBO else. Max. So, okay, I haven't read that, but I think I've read some of his previous work, if, if I'm yeah. thinking of the right author. Yeah, did you actually watch the TV show for that? 
No, I didn't watch the TV show because I I've, I've heard they've made it a comedy. But the book it mm. isn't a comedy. It's it's the it's the stuff that I like, like very dark and very suspenseful. Yeah, I find uh, that funny in in a haha way. Like even okay. though they they put it in the genre of comedy, it's not. Yeah, it's still quite dark. But I'm very curious okay. what you would think of the final product. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. And the other author that I really like is Shari Lapena, and she's actually Canadian, and she writes um, domestic thrillers set mm-hmm. in some um, fictitious town in um, upstate New York. So uh, it, they're very very interesting, and I actually googled the town that they're set in because I was so excited. <laughs> I thought I would go to this place. It's like beautiful. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh, I want to read that now. Like, Sherry Lapenia. Yeah, buildings, the places, the river, the lakes. And I just thought this place is fantastic and I want to go there and it doesn't exist. Oh, okay. There's actually a wiki, the wiki page on it that this is a fictitious okay. setting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that reminds me of this other Canadian author that I also detective novels called Louise Penny. Have you heard of her? No, I haven't. Oh, Louise Penny, yeah. Penny, and she okay. has like kind of like a. I mean, he's his personality is nothing like um, Poirot, but it is kind of like that oh, sort of okay. um, where you follow one detective that's very good at what he does. I mean, it's written okay. very differently from Agatha Christie, but she also yeah. has like this very picturesque, made-up village that's like yeah, really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what if, okay, so now that we've sort of like covered the, you know, sort of like how to make, well, I guess we could, we could talk a little bit more about like, so you have this idea of almost like creating a challenge for yourself, a creative challenge for yourself with the Google Sheets. Mm-hmm. So do- it starts with the aim. I think that you have, when you start Google Sheets, you always have to start with the aim. You can't look at a blank sheet and think how I'm going to fill this up. Right. You kind of have to like, uh, yeah, you got to have an end point in sight so that, you know, exactly like the long distance training, the, no runner goes through training without knowing the end product. Like, what are you trying to achieve? What speed are you trying to achieve? What length, you know, what distance? So all that kind of thing, mapping yeah. it out. Yeah. Are you doing a marathon or are you doing a 5K? <laughs> like makes a huge difference, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you do. So what do you do to to and you read to sort of create to to read, allow read, those read. creative juices to get going? Are there anything yeah. else that you do that like helps with creative juices or like helps with? Yeah. yeah. Um. I I think that it actually helps to get into a, a a creative lifestyle or a creative way of living. Uh, that helps with the mindset that that we've just been talking about because. I think that uh, no matter um, no matter what you're doing, uh, I I find that it's good to express yourself, like to express what um, you feel or think. I think that's the basis, the very very basis of being a creative person. Because if you're not expressing, then it isn't creative. It's something that what you're doing is not creative. And so, what so, what do you mean by expressing? Um, in what way I mean, do you express it? Meaning that you can think differently about something that you're doing. So, for example, uh, if you're baking, 
you could think differently. You don't have to follow everything to to the to the letter. You could make up something, make it up. You don't have to follow everything. So I think that we um, non-creative people will find that very difficult because obviously they um, that's not right. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, we can't yeah. do that. Yeah, and there's also the can't thing. But I think that once you you start to think the the can't this and can't that, then um, I feel that you've you, you you're just slicing off parts of your creativity instead of letting it grow because it could grow and you have to make mistakes because no successful idea has ever come from not making mistakes. We all have to go through it because that's how you grow ideas. So I, I just feel that, you know, when you look at people who are successful or, or ideas which are successful, things that, that have happened that worked well, that is the result of creativity. It has never been the result of no experimentation and you know, not thinking up new things. We think of new things because we are growing them. It's like you have to see it as an organic thing or something that you develop like a plant or as I said, like cooking or baking, or whatever. you're growing something from nothing. It didn't exist before, right? Right. So I, I think that once you start to think um, in different ways, that means you are expressing yourself. I, I, I really truly believe that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I like that idea. How do you, uh, for you, what was your journey like to figure out your own voice, your own creative voice and how to get confident within that voice? Because like you said, you, you try a lot of things and then they might like, not, not fail, they might, but they fail. might not work the way you want it to work or it fail, you can say fail, yeah. Um, I think but that's you, okay, but I think when you're young, you it's very devastating. You have an idea and I think like that's the part of creativity as you, from my understanding of this conversation anyway, and also how mm -hmm. I think of creativity myself is you have an idea, you're excited about it, you're motivated and you sort of like follow up on that idea and that's how creative, creativity sort of gathers momentum. Mm. But you have to have an awareness that not all your ideas are going to be a tree. You know, some of them are just going to kind mm. of grow a little and then sort of, you know, maybe die. Mm. <laughs> but I guess the question is like, I guess the question for me is how do you differentiate between an idea that leads to maybe a failure or like a mistake or just doesn't lead anywhere an idea that doesn't lead anywhere or is a bad idea and your own like self-critical judgment against your creativity you know um i think that a good idea is one that will develop so it starts off as a seed and i kind of also very um superstitious and uh feel that you ought to know. You get a real buzz. And creativity is like a drug. You will get a buzz out of something that you instinctively know will work. And I, I just feel that way. Like if somebody said, um, uh, are, are, you, are you interested in making a kale burger, for example? I would say, no, I'm not interested in it. So I know that that idea will not work for me but it might work right. for somebody else so I wouldn't say I think it's a totally personal thing that's just for me it won't work because I will take the kale and throw it away that's what <laughs> I will do because 
in my heart. I, I am not interested in it. That, that's why I think that a lot of the um, ideas that interest us are the ideas that make us really excited, like thrilled, you know, thrilled about it, you know. So I think that there's no, and there's no feeling like it, I would say, because that thrill just comes. And if, if it comes and you did not recognize it, then that's the idea gone. That's why I mean by being open, being creative is always being open to new ideas. You may never know what will give you that buzz. Interesting. Because the thing too is, and I think that maybe the part of creative confidence and creative voice is mm -hmm. getting that idea, running with that idea, being very excited about that idea and being able like to get to the finish line. Like I know a lot of people who love to start something, but they don't, they kind of lose interest halfway through. And so like, I guess the question is like, what part of that is like instinct? What part of that is self-defeatism? And what part of that is just, you know? Um, I think it's okay because I, um, being open to, to, to ideas means that, uh, you know, I, I think, well, ideas are like children. Some are going to uh, do really well and some not going to do very well, but that's okay. <laughs> I think that, the, you know, that I, I, all of them have, some meaning or relevance to your own development as an artist right what about but, like just the idea of do you feel a sort of a drudgery at certain parts of writing a novel like if it's you know you yeah, know that course, you believe yeah. yeah so that's different from that's different from oh this idea is not good that's just like you know there's going to be a part of writing that novel that's like you're just putting in the hours. I guess uh, what I was trying to say is like, there's a certain discipline to creativity, to finishing that book. That means that you're not always going to have the buzz all the way through, but how do you, how do you deal with that part when it just feels like uh, um, the, the part that's like drudgery a little bit? How do you keep motivating yourself? So if it's very, very boring, you could do something else that's really exciting. So that's part of like, um, you know, being self-inspired, self-motivation. Um, because no one's going to cheer you up and go, hey, let's go. You, know, you don't have a coach to come and like help you get out and have cocktails or whatever. You, don't, you may not have that. You may have to do all that yourself and inspire yourself. So you could stop and do something exciting. Um, you could have a take a look at the goal again. And just do a bit, like the 20 words. And you'll be amazed how, you know, how much that um, those 20 words will help you because then you realize that it's still there. It's just, you're just maybe very tired or something because you can get really tired of, of being this awesome, this awesome writer that you are. You know, you can have, have too much of awesome. So, <laughs> you know, and... Um, and you can run out as well. You, you can run out of, of, of the juice, you know. Right. I, but I think that because it's a drug, um, there's always a bit left. You're always gonna, mm. you always gonna need that next hit. And I found myself doing it. If I wanted to have a hit of like 20 words, five words, I, I would go and get it. Because mm. I know that's what I, that's what I need for, to get on with it. Okay, yeah, that's great. What about how do you deal with, so you know it's awesome, you finished it, you have belief in it, but how do you deal with, say, feedback or criticism? Um, how do you 
yeah, how do you do that? Like, how do you sort of know when to listen to other people and know when not to, and how do you actually navigate that sort of thing? Um, yes, really good question, actually, because I, I think that um, one of the hardest things to take is that uh, is is criticism because this is your your own person that you're you're laying out. So you're you're you are very vulnerable. You have already done a brave thing by getting it out. Your your freedom of expression. So uh, what you know you you can only trust people that you trust. So basically, people who are, read a lot in your genre who know who know what they're reading. Um, it's no good listening to people who are criticizing you who have no idea what they're reading because obviously they are not the um, they are not analyzing it in the way that they should be right yeah yeah it might not like, be even who you're aiming to be your demographic reader yeah it's not your they are not your audience so who cares yeah so it's a, it's kind of I know also as, as a writer or as an artist or anybody, I think you'd have to be who cares a lot more because um, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really impact on you unless it, your, the quality of your work is, is poor. If the right. quality of your work is good and you, you have made sure in every way that it is good, um, it's written well, it's got a good story, et cetera, it's been edited, et cetera, and, you know, um, then then I think that you you have more of a gravitas and more of a reason to ignore the negative reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you have confidence mm -hmm. in the product that you've created. So you know um, it could just... Beyond that, it's just really subjective, isn't it? So Yeah. So you... I think it's important to get a criticism at the early stage too. You know, you were saying about, oh, yeah, it's such a long process, etc. I think at the early stage, it's good to know what kind of, um, what is your aim, your, your, your target audience. I think it's important to do that because if you don't have a target audience, then, then this kind of criticism will come along because they obviously are not your target audience. I think know, know your reader is a good piece of advice from the start. So if you have just started um, your first novel, for someone who's like a, a person that's like uh, trying to become a published author, what would you, what would the steps that you would advise? Um, read, read, read. Um, I would finish writing something, get criticism nice and early, and I would. I actually really believe in getting it edited well. So hire um, an editor. That's. A I would hire an editor, even if it's for a few thousand words or the first ten thousand words or first thirty thousand words. Mm. You know, whatever it is that you you'd have done, you'd have done. I think it's it's been helpful for me, like criticism wise, because their editors are they 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 teach you they teach you about yourself. Right. Yeah, they're yeah, not just so correct. So even before trying to submit this to a publishing house or something, you um yeah I never did, done that before because I've always thought okay I'm done now hit send, but I I feel that now I I'm trying to achieve a you know a, a more a higher quality of submission because my my standards obviously have 
got a lot higher since I've been published. I, I feel that um, I, no way, I can't hit send. I, I don't even do that with emails now. I, I kind of think through a long time before I submit something, even, even, even a quick email. You know, what is it I'm trying to say and so on. I think that writing something really um, well is, is a gift, is a skill. Right, that makes sense. Mm. Um, and do you think that they have to, at what point do you get an agent, a literary agent? So I think that you'd have to finish um, writing it first, the, your, your, your manuscript and- And getting it edited? I, I personally, feel, personally feel that you should get it edited unless you're already an editor yourself or right. you don't mind, you think it's pretty, it's pretty good already and you don't mind just sending it. Um, so at that point, you, should pro you could probably write into agents um, whom of course you have to research well to make sure again to make sure the same thing that they are your target right. agent that makes sense yeah okay and then they will help you submit to publishers yes so two things that we have up i think is like uh, one thing is that you're actually collecting stories for an anthology um can you tell us a little bit more about that i'm i'm going to be editing and curating and um, an anthology of top Asian writing for next year. Um, and I think it'd be a good opportunity to find diverse voices writing about um, Asia, stories which are set in Southeast Asia or Asia by all kinds of writers, not just Asian writers. And this, this anthology we put out and uh, published in London next year. So are there any other requirements apart from it has to be Asian, um, it has to be about Asia. About Asia and... Um, and short. Yeah. Short, uh, yeah. a thousand to five thousand words. You can mm -hmm. submit more than once. Uh, you, um, and the most important thing is the writers will be paid a share of royalties. Okay, and then, so beyond that, what are you looking for, like for you personally, when you're looking at the writing? That's a really, really good question. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm actually looking at contemporary um, writing because I feel that there's been a lot of focus on World War II, especially on Southeast Asia uh, writing. <laughs> and I feel that we have a lot to share about what's been happening in the last 70 years in Asia. And um, and I'm, I'm not looking for, um, anything to do with COVID or the pandemic because I think everybody's sick of it <laughs> and we don't want another anthology about the, the pandemic. Making banana bread or something. <laughs> Sourdough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I've, I feel that I think stories about um, life now or modern life in Asia would be really relevant. Yeah. I mean, it also makes me realize like how, like I was saying in the beginning of this, that uh, there's so little Asian fiction. There's that so I little. Really, yeah, read. And I, I mean, granted I could seek out Southeast Asian voices, Malaysian authors, yeah. etc. but it does require quite a bit of <laughs> research to find. Like you're saying, you are in the minority 
So it's not just that I've been, it's not like I've been avoiding Asian writers. It's that you have to actively seek them out. Um, yeah, so, and I actually want to do that. So that's, that's kind of a good thing too. Um, yes, and I wanted to give a voice as well to um, uh, people from all over the world who, who would be writing. I feel that we have, we as Asians have something to be gained from viewpoints, from other people's eyes. Uh, and uh, as you know, as well as our own, I, I feel that we have a lot to share with with the world on you know our viewpoints about Asia. Yeah, I think um, especially now there's a I guess on one hand there's more of a opening up to diversity, and yet there's mm. just there's very few authentic voices though. I mean that are that we, we in the West, I guess, see like or hear mm. a lot or read a lot of. Mm. Um, I mean, I find that when I, especially when you're reading any media news report, you see like why mm. some people just don't know anything about the country, <laughs> you know? And so it's easy to fall for certain narratives because it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's that you've never even been to that country. So you, you would just believe they would do anything, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, also, um, in October, your book was, your book Overboard was chosen by Partners in Crime podcast as their book of the month. I mean, we should, I should definitely post something. Uh, we, we tweeted stuff, but then I should post something because you, people can actually get a free copy of your book, um, an ebook, uh, if they actually sign up for that podcast. So that's quite. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. What was that um, process like? How did they discover your book? Well, my book Overboard in um, September was uh, a finalist in the Reader's Favorite Book Awards in Miami. And, uh, and it had received very good, a very good report from the judges. It, it didn't win any any awards, but it was a finalist. Yeah, so, that's a big um, deal. Yeah, so I, I um, when the Partners in Crime podcast uh, saw that, uh, we they they got in touch and said I said to them, does it qualify for Partners in Crime? And they said, yeah, yes, it does, because it has to be published on Kobo as well, Barnes and Noble okay. Kobo, which it is. Uh, so, um, so they said that you know um, we're going to feature your book. Oh, okay, cool. That's really yeah. exciting. Has the reception for Overboard matched what you were hoping for or exceeded what you were hoping for? for? Um, I would say, I would say yes. Um, I think that Overboard has done really well in uh, all, all the countries that it has been published in. But I haven't actually, because it came out during the pandemic, uh, it came out on the 20th of March, 2020. So oh, wow. it was like no, no, no worse time for it to come out. So it, I, I've largely been um, promoting it only digitally. Like I have never had a book launch, physical book launch for this book, even though I was, I was, I was booked to go back to promote it in Singapore, Malaysia and Australia in August oh, wow. of 2020. Obviously that did not happen. Um, and it's not happening this year either. So I, I feel that I've, I've done um, a good job of it 
that it is promoted even uh, you know globally distributed and promoted uh, in in the last twenty uh, months or whatever. Did um, Cry of the Flying Rhino? Did you actually go to Singapore and Malaysia to launch it? Yes, I did. Yes, I did, and it it came out in Hong Kong, so it was first launched oh. in Hong Kong. Wow! And then uh, yeah, I promoted it in Singapore, Malaysia. Did you find and, any difference in reception from country to country? Um, the reception has been very warm because we're this is Asia we're talking about, and if anybody knows Asian hospitality, <laughs> it's right there. It there is nothing like it. So um, I would say that yeah, it was very well received, and I'd love to be able to promote um, another novel when when I can uh, in person. Yeah, that'd be great um, to also just see your fans like in person and have them tell tell you what yeah. you know, they think. I mean, I can imagine that'd be really amazing. Which I'm sure you will be able to soon, maybe next year. Yeah, the only sad thing is I've never promoted in the US, and um, I I've always wanted to to get into that market because I, I my books are sold you know obviously in US Canada, and um, but my fans have largely remained um, on online. Okay, so not yeah. not as not as much in the US just yet. No, like because I've, different... I've never appeared in person there. Oh, okay. So you can't, I mean, so now that it's also won and and won, I mean, was a finalist in the Miami. I mean, Mm -hmm. it seems like there is, um, there's audience there if you can get there, right? Yeah. So anyway, the irony is that I won't get to meet Brad Pitt because if had I won (laughs) a gold or silver (laughs) or bronze, Brad Pitt gives out the award. What? Are you serious? In October. Yeah, in this month. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. He was a literary person. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> is that real? This is a this is a big award. This is a big deal. The, yeah, this, uh, that is the reader's a huge favorite. Deal. I mean, that's a huge deal, but uh, wow. But I just didn't think of Brad Pitt as being involved in reading that much. I mean, I guess that makes sense too, because he his production company obviously mm. gets a lot of rights from books. I'm sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, they produce a lot of stories and uh, movies. So, wow, that, mm-hmm. that would be an amazing thing, I'm sure. I mean, more amazing, I mean, to, to win it in the first place is amazing. And to be a finalist yeah. is already a huge deal. So, yeah, congratulations indeed. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, uh, like, your next, next few projects, maybe? I mean, you talked a bit better about the sequel, but anything else? Anything else yes. you want to say? Okay, about I, I've actually got two. Um, I have two unpublished novels right now. The one, the sequel to Overboard, and I also wrote a prequel to Heart of Glass, which is set in Chicago in 1971. Mm-hmm. So this is in the two viewpoints. One is JJ, the handyman, and his girlfriend Dallas. So Dallas was a character in Heart of Glass who was the partner in crime to Leanne, the Chinese-American girl. So, so this, this, um, 
this prequel uh, is largely from the viewpoint of JJ, the handyman, who gets uh, a fixing up job at uh, at the at, at a wealthy. Um, what, what is he? He's a wealthy arts patron oh, okay. at, at his at his at his mansion. But there he discovers some undesirable secrets. And he's now beginning to wonder why he got that job in the first place. Okay. So um, can you talk a little bit about what Heart of Glass is about? Because that's actually, I didn't see that one when I was buying books. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't, I haven't read that one yet. <laughs> but so, I yeah, think Heart of Glass is a... Yes, it's set in Macau. So it's the girl in um, the the prequel. She she was fourteen then, but in Heart of Glass, she's twenty three. So she's uh, a Chinese American girl who is of uh, Singaporean origin, and uh, she's an immigrant in Chicago. And she's a school dropout, but she's very talented in music. So she gets offered a job in Macau as a piano player in a club. So she's very excited and, and jumps at it. Um, but when she's there, she's she gets involved with some casino uh, big wigs uh, who was just starting the um, the the disco phenomenon in Asia. So uh, she gets into uh, into trouble, and she has um, to figure a way of getting out and getting back to Chicago. Oh, wow. So why did you decide to set it in Macau and Chicago? I, I read a book called Thrilling Cities by Ian Fleming, and it's published in the 60s. It's actually a very old book that I found in a market in Penang, in Chow Rasta Market. And I just thought, this is fascinating. Like These are the thrilling cities of the 60s and 70s. And... Um, both of them were, were in, in the book and they're, they're cities of vices. Right, that's true. I see that. So is no. this part of Glass like written in um, the 60s and so? Is it set in the 60s and 70s? It's, it's actually set in 1981. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah. So it's like a very different time like um, for both places, obviously. Yeah. But in terms of crime and like organized yes. crime and mafia. yes organized crime so they are they are both organized crime thrillers um okay. and i'm actually considering writing a, a a third in the series as well like so, the second the sequel to heart of glass yeah you think oh interesting yes i only just started planning it last week so this is amazing timing wow that's exciting. Yeah, I want to read that as well. It's really, what was it about? So, so you read that book from Ian Fleming. Uh, what was and it about yes, Chicago? I was, so, I was, you know, one of the things that, um, this is why I, my advice is to read, 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 if you want to write, write, write. Because when you read, you get, um, you get uh, hooked by certain concepts which are like really gripping and you don't know why, you just absolutely love it. You know how when people like, I don't know, people who get uh, crazy about like orchids or, you know, <laughs> cycling or whatever, something something catches them and they're hooked. And um, I feel the same with like um, ideas and about reading. Sometimes you, ca you catch hold of an image 
that is so glittery and so um, amazing, it stays with you. That image. And those are ideas. So I, I got um, really caught up with the um, photographs, old photographs in this book of uh, Macau and Chicago and gambling and mm. smuggling and girls, girls, entertainment girls. Uh, and drugs and I just thought that it would be interesting to set a story that it was both east and west so again I looked into it and I was thinking there's none I mm -hmm. love this, the whole idea of these worlds colliding worlds yeah. and yet there's there's, 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 well, there's nothing that is hard to find and especially hard to find one that is by an Asian author who is also mm -hmm. female so I was thinking that you know these are all written by like you know white guys yeah, it is so that different. Kind, that kind of crime, that kind of crime. So I was right. thinking, you know, maybe I have I have a viewpoint in this and maybe this is something that I could put in. Like, as I said to you, you put in yourself into, yeah. into what you create. And also you're a musician. And, uh, yes. And so you can really, you know, you have that personal experience of being a musician. Um, yes, that's a lot yeah. of uh, what I what I have um, experienced and, you know, my own knowledge of the music industry like the recording industry. Um, I put some of the information in there and like bands and rehearsing and things like that. Yeah, because you were telling me that you've also recorded music professionally as well. It's not just a hobby. Yes, uh, in um, around the same time as when I wrote my first novel, I had a very creative period. Um, mm. And I was in a band, I wrote a lot of songs and we recorded the songs and we were gigging. We were playing in big venues in London. Oh, so why um, are you continuing in that rain or is it more in that vein? Well, there's been no gigs in the last oh, one yeah. and a half years, That's obviously. True. Yeah. But are you continuing yeah. to write songs and stuff? I, I'm con I write songs, yeah. I'm, I continue to write songs. And I just find that they're, they're just fun. They're just, it's like making cookies, you know. It's, not, it's like rather than making huge wedding cakes, you're making cookies. So it's just tiny little fun things to do. Um, I mean, I enjoy playing and, you know, it's... And and performing. What so about it's something like, that I just want to do? Oh, what about songwriting? online? Like, uh, do you release your songs online and stuff like that? No, because I, I, you know, I was looking for the lights when you, when you started the Zoom. I'm not a very online person. I feel that I don't have that online presence or online um, personality. I, I, mm -hmm. I find that I'm, I'm a very in-person person. I, so. When people were asking me, oh, why didn't you do an online book launch? Everybody's doing Zoom book launches and stuff. And I just don't. I can't. I, I, I don't want to appear live on screen for, you know, for whatever reason. I just, I feel that it's not very me. I, I connect very well in, 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 really? in, to my audience. What about, um, what about uh, like music videos for your songs and stuff like that? Because that's almost yes. like a different type of story storytelling. I think that I think I could do that. I think I'll be okay with that because I don't mind doing recordings of uh, myself. I do it anyway on Instagram. I just pick up the guitar and play live, or I play, you know, piano live, and I, I love that it's instantaneous. I mean, that's why it's called Instagram. It's instantaneous. Right. I'm I'm not rehearsed. I'm not like um, in costume. I just you know I just do it and. I think that's fun. That's part of the spontaneity of doing music. So I, I like, like, for example, like we're doing this podcast now, but I know that it's not live. So right. I'm myself. So I don't have that um, 
that thing where it's all formal because I'm not good at formal presentations of myself. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not live, but it is because it's just like a casual conversation. Yeah. I think the feeling is is more like it's live. Like you can make, um, you know, mistakes or whatever, and, and it's not a big deal. Like when it's just a conversation versus Yeah, like when you a, make mistakes, it's not a big deal. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So when casual. I when I perform live for Instagram, it literally is less than a minute or a minute, uh, because I I don't want to go into that whole formal thing where when it's too long, it gets into that stage. Because I, I do spontaneous songs. I I play by ear, so I just think of something wow. and I'll just play it. I just play. So I just thought that's just for fun. So I'm not okay. um you know appearing live. So oh, I, I see what, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a difference in yeah. that sense. Yeah. So do you feel like you don't have a, yeah. does this, does this mean that you kind of have a perfectionist side to you? I mean, is that part of it? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you do as well. I think all artists do. I we, think we feel that we're not quite, we never, we'll never be quite there or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I'm very interested in this idea of confidence, like creative confidence versus um perfection you know because it's like you it's the weird thing is you're trying to create what's in your mind mm. and and I I remember reading this book uh, from a theater director mm. and they basically oh, yeah. were like there are three like it's like what you have in your mind mm. what you have down in paper that you're going to be doing and then it's like yeah. the final product so there's like three yeah. stages that are not the same yeah. You can never get what's in your mind to what's yeah. on stage. It will never be yes. exactly the same. Yeah. So, but I think that creativity is kind of like that struggle of like get trying to make what is in your mind real and yet knowing that it's never going to be the same. And yet you're trying to do that. It's like a weird contradiction. Yeah. Um, and so that's the perfectionist part of like, you can feel or I can feel, um, you know, failing if it's not exactly the same but that's part of the process it's never going to be the same it's just a, a weird push and pull I think I was going to say that the Salvador Dali saying which is that have no fear of perfection because you'll never achieve it hmm. yeah I and that's that. for all right writers and artists like anybody who is doing and um, creative stuff yeah, and if you go to his house, I don't know if you've been to his house in Figueres. It's like uh, just such a interesting, oh, like really, you know? Yeah, I've never he, been. No, he creates all these little projects in his house. Yeah. Um, like his wife's dressing room looks like a I Dream of Jeannie thing. Oh, like it, really? You know, and yeah, like his yeah. bedroom has like a mirror that shows you. It's angled so that you can see the sunrise. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. It's just like these little projects that he has all over his house. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. So I love that idea. Yeah. Um, so do you have any last parting words before we wrap up? We had a nice time chatting about a lot. We covered a lot of topics. Yeah, we did. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, I feel inspired and motivated by this <laughs> conversation. So thank you. Me too. I think that it works two ways. I think that creativity is, you know, 
is taking and giving. You, you know, you 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 can give a hundred percent, but you get get back two hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. it it, it we we can feed off each other, and I think it's important for artists to realize that we're not alone. Yeah, I love that idea. You're right. You're totally right. Well, well, thank you again. And, thank you very um, much. The Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity is available as a podcast on Spotify and Amazon Music. You can also like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. And if you want to help us grow, then you can become a patron on Patreon. And that's it, right? I think that's That's it. it. Yeah. (laughs)